Hey, great. We have special guests today. I'm really excited to introduce them because they're from rural Kansas, actually. But they have an incredible story to tell from two different perspectives. You know, we have Brooklyn and her mother Barb, and with a fantastic success story. And once again, there's nothing more powerful, more motivating, more inspirational than hearing a good success story. And so, really, I'll just have you take it from the beginning. Maybe Brooklyn, you start first with with what what kind of uh, well, what's your story? Where it all started. Where did it all start? Yes. Um, so I was, I had just graduated high school, um, I had the same boyfriend since fourth grade, um, and he had a boating accident where he broke his jaw, split it in two places, jaw wired shut, and was on basically liquid oxycodone for six months, just free range refills, um, and he, I had never broke a bone, never tried a pill, never nothing. And he, once the prescription stopped, obviously was sick and started buying them off the street. Um, would occasionally do them to party, like just every now and then. One night, um, we were, I think we were going to a party or after a football game or something, and him and another football player had a couple and I took one and that was pretty much where it all started. From then on it was, you want to get a couple of these tonight? You want to hang out and do these tonight? And before I knew it I couldn't stop taking them or I was sick. Right. <laughs> and that's really a common story. I mean it starts off so seemingly harmless and mm -hmm. so... And I didn't you know. know that there would be that issue right. of withdrawal, basically. Right. And, and describe what withdrawals are like for people that don't know. I mean... Hell. <laughs> Literally just anxiety, sweating, leg cramps. You can't think. You have no energy. You... It's like the worst flu ever. It's just like a terrible flu. <laughs> And so when you're in going, your brain too. Oh, absolutely. So when you're going through that, I mean, it literally feels like it's life or death, doesn't it? Yes, and it literally it got to the point where it was life or death. Right. I mean, let's see. That was 2013, and, and before it's now, that, you before that you were a rock star. I was. I opened my own business at the age of 20. I was on the dance team, I was going to school full-time, full and I was managing a habit as well. <laughs> right. So you had everything going for you, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden now you're having to do what kind of behaviors all of a sudden? Mm -hmm. To feed the addiction so you're doing what kind I of things? So am, yeah. every dime I make went towards the addiction, he would come, I would I would make I would make money. He would get out of practice or get out of school, and at that time we lived in. So I started at K State. This started when I got to Fort Hayes, and we both he played football. I was on the dance team. We were both going to school for full time. I had a business. I would make money. He would get out of practice. Basically drive wherever he needed to go and 
get what we needed to feel okay that day. Right. And the next day, and the next day. And, and the tolerance starts to build up, and pretty soon um, you need yes. what? Just to feel normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it started with a pill would do it, a pill a day. Then it was two. Then it was three. Then it was, well, perk 10's not going to do it anymore. I have to have an Oxy-80. Then it was, I have to have one and a half of these, or I'm going to be sick tomorrow. And it just kept going until... Mm. Yeah, people build up a tolerance so quick and you have to feed the beast and mm -hmm. it's ever growing. Mm -hmm. Right. And then did your mom have any idea at this time? I mean, you're still high functioning, um, you're still... No, she really had no idea until the first time I... When Nash got in trouble. My boyfriend got in trouble. Um, actually, I'm trying to think. Actually, <laughs> Nash comes from a family of addiction. And so Dave and I had practically raised this young boy. He started out her brother's best friend. And then he was the brother's best friend and her boyfriend. Every school function, the dad was in jail for meth or pills or a DUI. And Dave would have our son on one arm and him on the other, praying with a coach before football, painting the football field. He was, Dave was his wrestling coach. This was a good kid. Right. Got to Fort Hayes, every football player is taking pills. Mm -hmm. Everybody's taking pills. Yeah. We felt sorry for him when we first learned of it. Um, Dave's mom called and said, I'm worried about him. I caught him in my bedroom in the drawer taking money. Right. And I drove to Hayes. He wasn't taking money. Barreled in their house. He was looking for pills. He wasn't taking money. He was right. looking for her pills. And when I barreled in the house, I never dreamt in a million years that it was our daughter. I blamed him. Mm -hmm. We almost killed him and his dad. We literally were so full of rage. How could you do this to us? Thinking that it's all him blaming his family, his past, his parents, your anger, your rage. And we told her, you're not living in this house, you're moving home. Mm -hmm. And kicking him out, right? She's still running a business. So you were um, at home and still running the business. And then there was a new occasion that happened, probably the absolute worst day of our life, next to the day you were detoxing, um, when Brooklyn called me frantic. And uh, she was running a pet hotel. Mm -hmm. right. Hugely successful. Yeah, right. Two to $3,000 a weekend. Mm -hmm. Working 10 hour days. Everyone loved her. People yeah. trust her. She loved their pets. Her reputation was amazing. She doubled the size of the pet hotel and added a dog wash all within two years, debt free. Mm -hmm. The girl's making bank. She bought a brick home. And then she calls me one night and says, Mom, I'm driving home. There's a video that's going viral. And that was really the first time I ever knew. I, I literally was shocked. Yeah. And you probably thought you could pull it off. Like everybody, you think you can continue this being a functional pill taker or a functional addict and yet it always, it always catches up with you and starts but to But I still blamed him. Right, right. Because in the video she was taking care of the dogs in someone's yeah. house and he was in the cabinet. Yeah. And I still was 100% in denial that my top graduating scholar, right. amazing, hardworking, dancing girl right. did not have a problem. It had to be him. 
She had to be codependent. And mm -hmm. you know what you do? You call them a loser, a little druggie, a little... Mm -hmm. You label this person right. in your mm -hmm. anger and your hurt. Mm -hmm. And I still... And I continue to lie. I continue right. to hide it and still do it. Stuff you would normally never do but for the addiction. Exactly. Absolutely. And thinking back on the things yeah. I did do now that I'm in my right mind, mm -hmm. <laughs> not survival mode I guess you could call it because that's basically what it was, surviving, um, yeah, like, no, I would never, like, I would never steal, I could never see myself stealing from my family or lying to them even about s even stupid little things, but. Mm -hmm. Yep, and then there was a day of reckoning. Well, it went on for a long time, Brooklyn. How long has this well, battle there, been going and then, on? Yeah, and I <coughs> never, I mean, I tried to detox on my own. When I moved home, I actually pretty much stayed clean for almost six months. Um, and then I kicked you out. And then, she, then you kicked me out. <laughs> And I got a little, I moved into a little duplex with Nash. Nash and I were kind of off and on. Like, in our hometown, when something like that happens to someone, like, I couldn't even go in our grocery store without people just, like, people were attacking me on the internet, through my cell phone, through my face-to-face. -face. Like, I, I was the bad person in our small town that did this horrible thing, and we were this t terrible couple and I mean we were just labeled that that's what we were labeled and that's probably what I still am labeled in Russell honestly because that's Russell unfortunately but hey, Doug, was that a uh, you're talking about small town I know uh, would you say 10,000 under town oh, oh yeah 2,000 okay. <laughs> 2,000 three stoplights have we run into that graduating class of 50 I them oh and you know, they think this is a big city story. Right. And I, I know when you said rural, I just wanted to clarify. No, and yeah, that's... I graduated with 52 people in my class. And that's why this story is so powerful, is we have so many people out there, you know, affair, you know afraid of the gossip, or, or, or t little towns do love juicy gossip, but by the same token, there's also an element of paranoia that, that, that when you're in fight or flight and you're in the drug world, all of a sudden there's paranoia. I mean, yeah. did you feel... Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and well, even even when I was like still using, even if my car was at this house, I would like it was just anxiety, constant, constant anxiety, stress, and yeah, small town. Someone sees I don't know how many times she someone would say to me like, "Why was your car at so and so's house?" Like when they obviously know what I'm doing, but I would blame it on Nat my boyfriend I would always have an excuse and get out of it and when when I kicked her out of the house I I believed that you were clean and I was still blaming him right um anything if she would take money or anything I would be like we have more money than we need I would gladly give you money mm -hmm. we've had a lot of success in our life we didn't tell our kids like here's all the money you need we wanted to teach them to sure. work that's why she had her own business right. she would never have to steal from me unless she was hiding something yep. and I was outraged 
and her dad was blaming me for kicking her out, pushing her away. So it's not just me and my daughter. We when were best it's... friends, and we were... Now there's this wall between us, but now it's everybody in the whole family. Right. Well, and you can't blame yourself for kicking me out, because no. I was still using living at home. But I kicked her out, and then he ended up stealing from his sister and going to jail. And it was Christmas. And that story, there's a lot more to it, which it's not right. about that, but... Yeah, so he goes to jail, we're still together, and he's, I mean, he's detoxing in jail. Mm -hmm. And it... Uh, a lot of people do. Well, yeah. and, and you illustrate the point, too. Parents don't know what to do. Parents have no idea. Do I love on them more? Do I actually I give everything. them money and enable them? Or do I, do I, do I, is it tough love? What, what, what you try to find out what's going to motivate I went to our pastor. Him. I yeah. stayed up at night. I prayed all night. I read every book. I called every treatment center. I called a guy on the road doing seminars called Steered Straight. I literally called friends who their kids had gotten clean. And our pastor said to me, no matter how much you love her, mm -hmm. only put the gas in her car and buy the groceries at the store. Do not give her $5. I should have listened. Right. But she... I want to trust her right. and she is a good person Absolutely. and when she says I want to go buy a present for so-and-so at Hobby Lobby or I need to get food for the dogs mm -hmm. Dave and I are like she's doing great and literally now that we've talked and we're so close through all of this like every dime she got mm -hmm. she was just thinking of how she could survive yeah. and it really stole what four years four years of her life before, yeah. about four. So was there a defining moment, Brooklyn, when you decided, hey, I'm ready for treatment? Um, it's, so, I mean, I, so I actually was trying to quit. So I knew of a person who had Suboxone, and I, I knew what it was. I had taken it before when there weren't pills to get, or I'm, I had taken it, and I knew it helped. And I, yeah, we both... We weren't, we weren't together anymore. We were still friends. But we, I mean, we both just decided this, this can't go on anymore. Like, we can't be together. Like, we're toxic together. And we both need to get clean. We're just going to do it. And we kind of went our separate ways. And I um, started, I tried to get clean. This was probably two years ago. No, I'm talking about right before I came here. Oh, okay. Um, I would say a month. I had probably been buying Suboxone off the street. And one day, um, was it Easter? It was August 24th. It was our granddaughter's Oh, yeah, it was birthday. my niece's first birthday. Everybody was coming home. And Brooklyn was working for us. She runs the entire office. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's yeah. just the most amazing woman at work. Highly functioning. Right. And she said she was going to run to get some stuff for the party. So basically, I got a text and it said, hey, I'm going to um, be out of town um, for a while. If you need anything, um, you have to be here by noon. And I was like, shit, well, my whole family's going to be here. Like, right. I have to go get, like, I have to, or I'm going to be sick all weekend, and everyone's going to 
wonder what's wrong and I won't be able to feel normal and right. function basically. So I went and it turned out to be a setup with the cops. Oh. Um, which turned into an entrapment case that got completely dropped because that's illegal to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the person I was buying some boxing from was also a dealer of other things and he got in trouble and the cops had his phone. I guess they saw my name and probably our messages or something, I'm not sure. But yeah, they basically trapped me there. Um, I got arrested. And that was the final straw <laughs> when I really said to mom, like, I was trying on my own, but I need your help. Like, I need help. I can't do this. On, I'm not going to do it on the street anymore. I'm not going to jail. Like, what can we do? And it sounds like you were at that point, of course, where it wasn't about euphoria anymore. You probably didn't oh, even no. get high from no. opioids. You were buying Suboxone off the streets just not to be sick. Just to be normal. I mean, you, you don't get a high from Suboxone, but you just, you you felt better on Suboxone oh, yeah. than, of course, yeah. what you were, you know. And I, the euphoria, mm -hmm. I would say the last year and a half of my addiction, it wasn't even about getting high anymore. It was just about surviving, yeah. waking up, being able to get up, get dressed, go to work talk to people, think straight, be yeah. normal. So now you're at least detained and the whole town knows. But maybe that's the day of reckoning. Maybe that's the day you finally got bad enough or it got bad enough that you knew you had to do something different. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah, well, and yeah, and what, yeah, basically just knowing I'm not gonna buy from people anymore. I'm not gonna do things that are illegal. I'm not going to put my life on the line anymore. I'm going to do it the right way. I'm not going to do it the way I have been doing it, I guess. And Barb, she knows people are overdosing and dying even in the small town you're in, right? Yeah. I mean, and, you know, yeah. our son, Chance, yeah. and Brooklyn, our whole family has worked for years with this nonprofit for suicide awareness because Dave's brother was an addict and took his life. Dave's dad was an addict. My dad is one of seven, and my dad is the only one that's not died of suicide, been in prison, been through treatment, or still addicted today. Yes. And so, I've never tried a drug in my life. I haven't even ever smoked weed. I just have never, and call me a prude, but like I preached the entire time they grew up, mm -hmm. drugs are bad, don't ever do them. <laughs> and we never, ever allowed it or... You know, we just, I don't care how much you preach to your kids, you never ever think one day someone's going to give them a pill and the next day they're not going to be able to get off. And so for me, it was like we lost, watching Brooklyn struggle, even when we would think she was clean but we knew that she wasn't, watching her fall asleep sitting up, slur her words, they're a different person. And it's right. like you're losing the person that you love and you're watching this person that you knew die and there's nothing that you can do to stop it. Because I see her as this beautiful, amazing, outgoing girl that's going to have a wonderful future. And she sees herself with her self-esteem like this. You could tell a huge difference in the girl that she was and the girl that she was becoming. And then your hometown in a small town. I mean, if we're in New York City, nobody knows her. Right. She can walk down the street the next day and be 
be Brooklyn. But then she is everything that even I used to label these people as. Right. Mm -hmm. And you want to judge and you want to hate on them and hate them. And you want to think that you're better than them and why would they make these poor choices. Never once in my life until the day that I found a needle and asked Brooklyn, I literally couldn't even walk. I said, what is the needle for? What is the needle for? And Dave and I were like, you have got to be kidding me. And after we sat down and she came here, she would explain to us everything that people would do. All the different ways that they would try to get it in their bloodstream if they only had a little bit to make it more powerful right. so they could keep from getting sick. And I think for us, the last three or four years was like, dear God, if you just keep our daughter from being the next one that overdoses, we're going to dedicate the rest of our life yeah. <laughs> to helping these parents that are struggling with this. I mean, we said that when Dave lost his brother to suicide, and we do everything we can to create awareness and support. But when it comes to addiction, and I told Brooklyn on the way here, just meeting you and coming here to this I Thrive Center for Change, um, it was the day that literally turned her life around and our life around because Brooklyn literally got in the car and said, I think this is going to work. Like, I believe this is going to work. Right. And I didn't trust and I didn't believe and I didn't want to get my hopes up. But after a couple of trips here, right. I could start to see the old Brooklyn, you know, coming back. I know. I remember when I met you, I just, and it's not the first time, but I just, a parent just came up and gave me a hug. And, and it wasn't a hug of, it was a hug of relief. Like you said that you feel like you're getting your daughter back and that maybe that phone call in the middle of the night about your daughter overdosing is not going to come after all. It was that... I couldn't live with that. Yeah. Like that's everyday nightmare. Mm -hmm. And you know, I've had a lot of friends who have buried their children or they go visit them on Christmas in prison mm -hmm. and we're close. And I've had a lot of friends who their kids have gotten off of it. But that fear or that you don't want your mind to go there. Right. But it happens to a lot of really good kids and really great parents. Sure. Right. So I feel that way just when my daughter started to drive. You know. Yeah. And so I can't imagine, you know, what it's like to, to not and you feel helpless because you're not basically in control for anybody else's behavior or anybody else's you know and, and helpless because there's no way that I can help Brooklyn now. Mm -hmm. There is no way that I could help her. And even if she wanted help, I didn't know how to help, you know? I can remember my brother played, so he's a year younger than me. He played football at K-State. And one night he went to a party and um, they basically gave you a pill at the door. And he eventually started taking Adderall. And then he went to a fake doctor and got a fake script where he would just get him every month and he became addicted. And to get, I mean, 5 a.m. practice, class, practice again, weights in the morning, school, homework, it just kept him going. And like you said, he built a tolerance. He needs more. He, And then he moves home. He's depressed. He, he got in trouble. <laughs> You know, is it, and you, you take these pills and you think it's actually a solution to one of life's little stressful events and you actually feel like you can do anything for a little while, but it always, always ends up... Well, when he moved home, she was his rock. And yeah. that's what I was going to say. It's crazy yeah. because I was addicted, like, 
And Ash and I went to the house. You guys were gone that weekend. You said, please go out to the house and stay with Chance. He didn't come out of the basement for six months. He was depressed, withdrawing, detoxing, depression, anxiety, like, and here I am, an addict, telling my brother how, like, it's just crazy how it worked. But, and then he started SAP, which is the Scott Allen Project. So that was because he thought about taking his life several times. Right. And he didn't want to live anymore, yeah. which would be the most devastating thing to a parent, mm -hmm. along with overdose. And how we have children that have ever, there's no home that I can think of that has loved their kids as much as we have loved. There's no two parents in our town that have been as active in everything they did. If they wanted a sport, we wanted a coach. Okay. If they wanted to dance, we built a studio. If they wanted to play baseball, we built a baseball batting cage. And then how do you raise your kids with so much love and support and they need a drug? That was my question. Yeah. And, you know, Chance's purpose now is suicide awareness. And with Brooklyn, I just feel like there's no reason to have any shame mm -hmm. or to have any label. Not yeah. one person can put a label on you right. because God's plan in her life has to be mm -hmm. that it wasn't a setback but for her to have a comeback and to help other people no there's no way we had this much suffering without a cause and just tell people like 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 i said in the beginning i didn't know that when i stopped taking these i was gonna be sick let's say like i i didn't know like I feel like kids need to be aware of what's out there, what they could get into, what they, what's gonna, what's in the what's in the real world. Like, yeah, the most powerful message is what you say. Just never, never start. Don't think that you are gonna cheat the odds because no. nobody does. No, nobody does. <laughs> no matter how no. hard you try. No, I appreciate you so much coming and telling your story because. Stories are powerful. And well, and now if we're going to yeah. label you, it's going to be labeling you not just as a survivor, but you know, as a, as a strong young woman that really has the world, the whole world in front of her. So, but but I appreciate it. it takes a lot of courage to come out and tell your story. And I it feel does. that way now. Like I yeah. I do. I before I didn't think about the future. Like I thought about tomorrow. That's all I could think about. Like what what am I going to do tomorrow? How can I feel okay tomorrow? How am I going to feel? How am I going to sleep tonight? Like, cause if I didn't have them, you don't, you don't sleep. Mm -hmm. You lay in bed, you flop like a fish all night. You sweat. You, it's terrible. And now I think, I mean, I wake up. I feel good. I look forward to things. I want to do things. I want to go out and. Before I didn't want to travel, I would think, what if there's not something I can get that's gonna last me those four days? Right. What, like, now I, I don't know. I got my life back. <laughs> yep. And people need to hear it. I mean, there is fulfillment on the other side. And, and yeah. one of the things that w was done is buprenorphine, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and that has a real long half-life, so that helps stabilize your anxiety and your mood. And then we put you on something else to help with anxiety until your brain could start to transform back to normal. But, um, and, and it's not all easy. I'm sure you went through times where... There's still days that are yeah. harder than others, but... Yeah. It doesn't compare at all to what it used to be. <laughs> yeah. Not even close. And when you're used to pills and being like the quick fix, the quick answer, 
it seems like the solutions, like some of these medications we put you on to help control cravings of drugs, they don't work right away. I mean, it takes a while, and so it involves an element of patience and an element of, of, of yeah, confidence. Yes. And, yeah, definitely. Wonderful. <laughs> and, and as Barb says, I mean, there are so much mood disorder in the addiction world and vice versa. And people that are depressed want to take pills because they want to just they want it to be gone. And people that take pills oftentimes get depressed or in a funk or just feel like life is boring because they don't have that dopamine surge coming all exactly. the time. And so I personally think that that people don't inherit necessarily um, a predisposition toward addiction, but they inherit a predisposition toward different mood disorders that people turn to different drugs to to as a quick-term solution. Well, and maybe yeah. there is a, you know, something in our children's genetics, right. I don't know if that's even a thing, Right. that there is, I've never had anxiety until Brooklyn was addicted. Right. Going, her getting in any trouble, going in a courtroom, even thinking about it, I literally would be the one that needed medication. I lose like all control. Like your heart's gonna pound out of your chest. Mm -hmm. I can remember telling Dave when I knew that they were in trouble and there was nothing we could do. I would I would go to the doctor and say, I can't sleep and I can't eat and my heart's gonna pound out of my chest. But I don't wanna be on any drugs. Right. You know, I, I don't don't put me on anything. Yeah. And they would test me to make sure I wasn't gonna have AFib because that's how bad my heart was. Yeah. But I was literally dying inside because I was watching her just self-destruct. Because you're used to being in complete control. Oh. And you channel your energy toward very productive means, as, as you know, Brooklyn did as well. But you're gonna do 120% of whatever you choose to do, whether it's in your business, because you're very successful. Like, she's not that great person. She's mm -hmm. just that great, overachieving person that can't live without the pill. Yeah. And I think that that's been my education is that understanding that these people don't want to go take the drug. Mm -hmm. Their body is saying like if you don't get this you're gonna die. Absolutely. Yeah. That's hard for me to imagine. No. And you know nobody dies of opiate withdrawals but they feel like they're going to and the fear is so amplified because that part of your brain's running the show the primitive portion of your brain is running the show and so it truly feels like you're going to die, even though you know you're not. Really it's like a hundred voices against one, mm -hmm. they say. But you've probably felt like you're, now that we've stabilized the mood and control the anxiety, you feel like you're back more in control, I assume. Oh yeah, um, definitely. Now, there comes a point where you know you got this. Mm -hmm. what, uh, how long have you been clean then? Um, so I've been here since the week of August 20th. I can tell you exactly. <laughs> She's got an app that encourages um, her every day. <laughs> it's in a real it's a really cool app too. It's called I am sober. It's free. Mm -hmm. Um and you just put in basically whatever drug you are addicted to. Um so 174 days, 5 months and 21 oh, congratulations. days. Congratulations. Yeah, very yeah. much. Yeah. 9 days away from 6 months. Almost I was going to add just to that, you know, you you say, you know, you've lost 4 years of your life, but really that's a vapor. I mean, if you think about it, um you spend more time at stoplights and stop signs than you do in high school, which is four years. So, yeah. you know, you're going to rebuild quickly. And when you do, you know, keep your chin up. You know, your small town, you know, people that point fingers that judge really don't have anything to... Well, I, you haven't lost it. Actually, you, you've, you've learned so much and right. you've experienced so much that actually... I know just what you're doing today is going to save some people and all of a sudden wake some people up and some yeah. mothers and children and young ladies is going to wake them up. I mean, it's very 
took a lot of courage on your part. And you'll see, this is, I got a feeling in your young life you'll probably not just accomplish a lot, but help a lot of people. And, I yeah. hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I always think about judging, you know, we're all quick to judge. Sure. But think even in the Bible mm -hmm. where Jesus went when he was risen, he went straight to the prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> she was not she was the most looked down on in the town she was the first one to know and I think about that in our life like I have been guilty of judging people based on their poor decisions not realizing that it wasn't their decision to steal it was their survival and that was one thing Brooklyn loves her counselor here well, and also I I would definitely say even being an addict you learn not to judge people going being arrested like people who share and gossip and do all like someone in our small town gets arrested it's on the local radio it's shared all over Facebook everyone's trash talking them like I feel for that I want to go to that person and say are you okay I've been there I know what this feels like this sucks like and then there's a hundred people against them and it doesn't matter like like my mom said, I was top ten in my class, dance team, worked, whatever, dance, college, all of it. It doesn't matter how much good you do, you screw up one time, mm -hmm. that's what you're seen as, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> well, and if you take Brooklyn's story and you go impact one person who doesn't overdose, one child a mom doesn't have to bury or go visit behind bars, mm -hmm. to me, that's so much more powerful than everything she could have ever accomplished on a sports field or or anything that she could do. And I just think about the people that we're going to be able to impact when she's ready. It's not my story to right. tell. Sure. It's not my thing sure. to go share with everyone. Mm -hmm. But I really want to help the moms and dads that it's hard on your marriage. Mm -hmm. It's hard on your health. Your business will struggle. You have no desire to work or hit any of your own personal goals in any area of your life because as a mom your human instinct is I have to go save I my kids yep. and it's just knowing that she could come here mm -hmm. once a week and that we could be with her and not be like locked apart her in with a bunch of crazy or you know addicts that didn't want to get clean or behind bars or wherever she would have had to go through this mm -hmm. here was just so relatable yeah. and so supportive easy. and easy affordable that's the other thing mm -hmm. a lot of times addicts don't have the money right. and I just that's why I want to be so much a part of this movement that you know it only takes a little bit of money but a big commitment and people could get their life back like right. Brooklyn and you have to do your part and you got to make a decision Definitely. and you, you you've done it you've got a great counselor I have no doubt I mean you've gotten through the two-a-days of football. Now, yeah, you, know, but you yeah, definitely yeah, have yeah. to make the decision. Yeah. That's the main thing. Absolutely. No, and I appreciate your mother's perspective as well. And I did buy your order your book online, by the way. Did you? Order my book I online? Did. I would have gave you yet. one free. I'm going to get you to sign it anyway. I need no, to write yeah. a new book. You do need to write a new I book. I need to write a new book Absolutely. with Brooklyn. Perfect. And share her story. Because what she has accomplished is... Far more than anything we've ever done in business or life, that's for sure. Wonderful. I'm super proud of her. Okay. I try to tell her that every day. Yeah. And it's hard to understand when she still has struggles with the anxiety. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because I've never... Mm -hmm. Those of us who have never been through it don't get it. 
And some days she'll just say, you don't get it. Yeah. But when she's clean and everything's good and she does great at her job and has a great relationship and whatever, mm -hmm. and then you still have those feelings and we're over here like, what do you have to be anxious about? Yeah. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Have a positive day. <laughs> You're you know, just over here in your world. I mean, you make a good point there. I see, I think that's where we go wrong in treatment a lot of times. The underlying issue isn't the addiction, it's the mood disorder, the anxiety, the bipolar, the borderline, the PTSD, whatever it is that has to be treated for you to get off drugs and stay off drugs. And we'll put people through inpatient treatment programs or other programs where we get them off the drugs, we never treated the real issue, the real problem. So, I mean, we always look at treating the co-occurring conditions, the anxiety and stuff like that, because that's what's going to enable you to get off and stay off. Mm -hmm. You know, and so you know that now. Right. Yeah. And, and that's uh, yeah. That's really what Chance, my brother Chance, with this with SAP mm -hmm. Scott Allen Project. That's yeah. his big thing. Just like you're not alone. You're not the only person that's mm -hmm. going through this. There's thousands mm -hmm. of people out there. Mm -hmm. And. Like, don't give up. Right. <laughs> You're going to get through it. Absolutely. There could be a whole community that just came together where people who didn't know where to go right. could just be totally supportive. Whether it was and addiction, suicide, depression, they are, they're all related. All, absolutely. Easily. Yeah. Like, addiction, depression, anxiety, suicide, they're all right there. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I appreciate you both so much. We appreciate Brooklyn, you. Brooklyn Barb, thank you for making a big drive. And, and coming here and telling your story, it takes a lot of courage to do that. Now you're committed for a successful ending, you know, because sure. we may need to do this again in a year, and the Lord knows what successes you both are going to have. But uh, I look forward to um, seeing where you can go. My dream is that there is a Center for Change where mm -hmm. Brooklyn can go mm -hmm. and encourage the people that walk in the front door mm -hmm. in our area just yeah. like someone did here for her. Because that first visit was big. Yeah. It was big. big. Mm -hmm. In my number, this can be off the record, but yeah. my number I see every day as encouragement is always 316. <laughs> and we pulled into your parking lot. All right. And I saw that number on that hotel across the way. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Brooklyn came in to I was like, oh my God. Oh, yeah. here she goes, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I just told Brooklyn, like, I know that this is everything that we prayed for. And then she met her counselor, and her name was Barbara. Mm -hmm. So then we were yes. like, it's got to be a sign. It's got to be a sign. <laughs> and, Absolutely. you know, the thing that was great, I must say, is that you have people working here that Barbara told her story to Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. I've stolen. I've been arrested. I've been on the streets. I was a mom. I've done this with two kids, you know. I didn't know. Didn't tell me that. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, that's not yeah. exactly what she said. But yeah, like, no. whatever the yeah. story was, she yeah. had been yeah. in Brooklyn's shoes and yeah. said, "I could relate to her." Yes, and that's then, the big thing, honestly. Like, mm -hmm. you don't want to talk to some, mm -hmm. like my mom, for example. She doesn't get it, yeah, because she's never been through it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But someone that's been through it totally understands where I'm coming from. And when you yeah, came out that day, you mm -hmm. said she made you feel a lot better about all the things that you were ashamed yeah, of that you had done. I mm -hmm. did feel ashamed. I felt horrible for the things I had done, and mm -hmm. she's, I was in survival mode. Like, you did what you had to do to survive, and that's what I did. Yep. Well, and that's why I'm not ashamed and moving forward. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You're telling your story. And the I only reason why you're you. telling your story is... To help others. Mm -hmm. 100%. All right. Well, I know you got this. I think we'll 
Until next time. Dr. Lakin is a board-certified family medicine doctor with an emphasis in addiction medicine and over 25 years of experience. For addiction recovery services in the Wichita area, please visit www.centerforchangeks.com or visit samhsa.gov for a national directory of resources and recovery centers in your area. You can also find these links in the podcast description. Thank you for listening to the Lakin Chronicles Road to Recovery podcast. And remember, you've got this.